Thank you. And you can be open your Bibles, Genesis 17. I'm telling you, everything always comes back to Genesis uh, throughout the Scripture. And today, uh, again, we're in a extremely uh, deep chapter, um, and because this is the covenant being made by which you are saved. Um, you, we, we are so New Testament oriented that we think that the death on the cross and, and Jesus' life was like this afterthought of God, and he just kind of came up with it when everything else failed. And, you know, we started with Adam, and he messed up, and it got so bad, God had to get Noah, and then Noah survives the flood, but then he messes up, and, you know, then we get Abraham, and then the Jewish people, and Moses, and then they messed up, and, and then so God just throws up his hands, well, fine, I got to do it myself. But the Bible says he's the Savior that, the, that died on the cross from before the foundation of the world. Before God made us, he knew his plan, he knew what was going to happen. And Genesis 15, this is a, like a, a, a five-week study as a minimum, and I'm going to try to do it in less than 30 minutes, okay? So just to tell you, I'm, I, today I am water skiing behind a speedboat, all right? Uh, we're going to go about 200 miles an hour. I'm just going to hit the very tips of the waves, jumping wave to wave to wave. You need to go back and read and study on this chapter a lot. It is, it is unbelievably uh, rich. And today is called the Mark of the Covenant. This is where God uh, makes a covenant and gives it a sign of sealing. And it's a very personal sign. But he gives us a sign that says, I accept this covenant with God. I agree with God about it. And so here's what I want you to take home. And you can leave this up for a little while. God's everlasting covenant brings us salvation. God's everlasting covenant brings us salvation. There is an, the, the word everlasting is here. The word covenant is in here. The word salvation is not in here, but this is the everlasting covenant that brings us salvation. And I'm going to try to tie those two things together for you today from scripture um, because we have an Old Testament and we have a New Testament and the word testament is has the same meaning as covenant. We have an old covenant and a new covenant. And then how do we put that together? And I think that many times we're confused about that. If you're, if you're with us on, online, uh, glad you're here. Uh, if you're in person, if you have a smartphone, you can open it. Uh, there are my three wonderful children. Then uh, you can go uh, to the app store if you don't already have it downloaded, but you can open up your Calvary Baptist Stanton app. And then tap on, I guess everybody's using the internet now, it's slowed down. Uh, then you can tap on sermons and sermon notes and the Mark of the Covenant. So if you miss something up here, it's there. It's on our website as well. Later this week, you can look at uh, that as, as well. Actually, it's already up on that as well. So I keep saying as well. It is also there. Let me just change that word. Uh, we, as I said, we come to this today and we have to see kind of where we are, but God is showing up with Abraham again. And today, I don't have to keep trying to say Abram and Sarai. That's, uh, you, we're so used to calling them Abraham and Sarah that we, we, uh, it's hard for me to hit the brake and do it right. But would you pray with me so that uh, we just invite God and his presence in? Oh, by the way, before we pray, I, thank you, um, just it hit my head. Uh, I had an announcement to make, and that is on August 22nd, uh, we're going to show a film here called Unplanned. If you're watching the uh, announcement, uh, you feel free to come and go as you please. So I want to let you know about that. Now let's pray. I want to ask God to help us uh, with this. I jumped in the sermon 
before I remember to tell you all that. Lord God, in Jesus' name, we come in your presence, thanking you that you are our sovereign Lord and God. And we ask now that, Lord, you would open the eyes and ears of our understanding, that we could behold wonderful things out of your word. Lord, um, loose my tongue to speak your words, silence my tongue that I would not speak my own words. Uh, in Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Well, here in Genesis 17, as I said, I don't know about you, but I like names, all right? I, that, that's not what I said earlier, but I do like names. I, I'm very interested in them. What do they mean? Uh, and, and what I have found, one reason I kind of fell into that, I was always very aware of my own name growing up. Um, I've named, my name that everybody calls me is actually my mother's maiden name. Uh, my first name is actually my dad's first name. And both those names have, for me, significant meaning. So I just trust that other people's names mean something to them. And in our culture, it's not so much that way. It, the Native American cultures in, in North America, uh, some of them, names were very important. Uh, many times they wouldn't even name a, a child so they could figure out what kind of person he was going to be. Uh, in some of their cultures, they just named the first thing they saw. So it'd be Oakley for something like that until they figured out what he was going to be like. And then they would rename them. But they, they would switch names through the years as their lives unfolded. In the, new t in the Bible days, it was very similar. They would name a child that had a specific meaning for them. And so in this passage, at, at near the very beginning, we see three names change. Two in the beginning, uh, one a little bit later, but all within this one time. And God has about four or five conversations with Abraham right here. And those name changes are very significant. And let me read the first, like, two and a half verses, and we're going to catch part of it. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. When Abram is confronted by God, he falls on his face in worship. But you say, well, I didn't see a name change there. You saw one big name change there. This is the very first time, and it's in verse 2, that God uses the name El Shaddai for himself. That he is God Almighty. Actually, it's still in verse 1. I, I was questioning myself. It's in verse 1. He said, this Bible says, the Lord, Yahweh, meets with Abraham, or Abram, and he says, I am God Almighty. Why is that so important? El is God and Shaddai is Almighty. Uh, and, and so why is that so important? Well, if you remember a couple chapters ago when Abram was questioning what God was up to, in chapter 15, I believe it is, uh, God meets him in the tent and says, hey, step outside. He says, look up. See all those stars I made? Can you count those? If you can count those, you can count the number of descendants you're going to have with your wife. And so in that moment, the Bible says Abram believed God. It was counting him for righteousness. He, he trusted God in that moment. And now God shows up because Abram is a little shaky. 13 years before this time, and you can see that at the end because Ishmael is 13, it says at the end of the chapter. So it's been 13 years since last chapter when uh, Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. God shows up again and seeing that Abram is all shook, this time he doesn't say, I've created everything. He says, I am all powerful. I am the God with ultimate power. Why is that important? Well, because when God made 
creation. He made certain laws to control or run that creation. We have laws of gravity, laws of motion, uh, and other natural laws, we call them, that this is how it works. It works every time. Put water in a temperature below 32 degrees Fahrenheit, it will turn into ice. Get it hotter than 212 degrees, it will turn into, into steam. Every time, without exception. Unless God wants to get involved because he's the one that said that's how it'll work. And he can make it work differently if he wants to. Okay, great. Why is that important now? Because the dude's 99. His wife is 90. And they're going to have a baby. So God says, okay, you don't get hints very well, do you? I am God Almighty. There's nothing I can't do. I can alter my own creation at any point in time which we see happen with Jesus, we see happen here in this instance. And so, God reveals his new name. A little bit later on in the text, and we, we will get to it, uh, well, let me just show it to you. In verse um, 5, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. Abram means exalted father. A-B is the, is the Hebrew word for father. Abraham means the father of many nations or many peoples. All right, so God changes his name. You're, you're an exalted dude. You're an exalted dad, actually. But now I'm going to make you the dad of a lot of people. And then later on uh, in, in this uh, text, uh, in verse 15, And God said to Abram, Abraham, now God's calling him by that name, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And Sarah means princess. I'll tell you why that's important a little bit later on. So we see these three name changes. Well, what is God doing? He's putting the people in the right places. Okay, Abram, you've been an exalted dad. Now you're going to be the dad of many nations. Sarah, you're going to be the princess, and I am still God Almighty. That doesn't change, but he makes it very clear. This is the first time El Shaddai is used in the scripture. And so he puts everybody in the right place. I I think this is interesting because in Revelation 2, not inviting you to turn there, but you certainly can if you want to. And that won't be on the notes if you go look on the, on the website. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus says to the church at Pergamum, when, if you are faithful, you make it here, you stay where you're supposed to be, I'm going to give you a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to you. Like, nobody will know that name but you. God's going to give you a name that he knows is you. It'll fit you perfectly. It'll fit the redeemed you, I believe. You know, I, 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 like I said, I think names are important. Sometimes people get nicknames. Like, your name, to me, you ought to be proud of the name you have. But sometimes you hear somebody's name and you just want to say, your mama didn't love you, did she? You know, name you that. And, and, and sometimes you get a, 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 a nickname that you really don't like. I mean, if, if, if you're called Booger, you might want to change that somehow. I don't know how you get that name. But God's going to give us a new name. God knows who we are, and he sees us that way. He says to Abram, no, no longer Abram, now you're Abraham. And he addresses them as Abraham from that point on. Never does it change back. So he puts everybody in their right spot, and then he tells, them what, tells Abraham what he's going to do. And he's going to give him this mark of the covenant. Here, God promises, 
what he's going to do. Abram falls on his face and God says, remember a covenant, both people say what they'll do. If one side breaks the covenant, the other side still has to keep their end of it. That makes you a really bad person if you break a covenant because the other guy's still on the hook no matter what. So God makes a covenant with us knowing we're going to break covenant. But he still will do what he said he will do. You, you got to keep that in mind, what's going on. And so, in verse 3, Abram falls on his face, and God says to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And then he goes on to give the sign. But I want to just pause there for, uh, uh, for a minute to point out a couple of things. We'll look at the sign and I'll come back. God makes two promises. I'm going to make you have a bunch of kids that can't even be counted so many. They're going to be kings. They're going to rule nations. All kinds of things. And I'm giving you this spot of land, Canaan, everywhere you've walked. Now God tells, I just want to Make that clear. It was a lot to read, but I want you to get those two main points. Then God says to Abraham, because you've got to see the sign of the covenant, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Eighth day, uh, a boy's, a baby's vitamin K goes to 110%, and there's one other uh, factor in that so that the blood clots and you heal quickly. And uh, he who is eight days old shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of you, of your offspring. Do you notice that that's anybody? You don't have to be a descendant of Abraham to get in on that covenant. Both he who is born in your house and he who is brought with your money, says it again, verse 13, uh, yes, shall surely be circumcised, shall, so shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people, for he has broken my covenant. God creates a sign of the covenant that in, in any man's most intimate moments, he is reminded, I'm, I'm in this covenant with God. Now, here's a question that I hope hit you while I read that. I tried to give it a little emphasis. Because I believe we're, we get a little confused on this. And by the way, there's probably people in here who study this that will disagree with what I'm about to say. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not here to argue it. I'm here to just kind of help you with it. What is the nature of this promise? He says it's an everlasting covenant. He says that twice. So... What about Judaism today? Where are the sacrifices? 
Where's the priesthood established in Moses? Are Jewish people favored by God so they don't have to do what we have to do? What does the Bible say about the Jewish people? They are a what people? Chosen people. They are the chosen people, right? How in the world then does Christianity come to be if God said forever, everlasting? What would everlasting mean? You don't have no Hebrew to know this. Everlasting will mean everlasting. It'll last forever, right? But I'm not Jewish. So what do I get? Good question, isn't it? There are those who believe. Uh, this is called a dispensational view. God's working with the Jews. So, see, they get this idea. This is how a lot of people think. Not, uh, forget the name I put on it. A lot of people think this. Well, God said, oh, let's make a world. We'll make men. That'll be cool. And he makes Adam, and then Adam blows it. I mean, first thing I'm going to mess up, like, oh, my goodness, he messed up. You know, they think God just, like, got caught by surprise by that. Well, he, we'll see. We'll work with them. But now they get so bad, he finally says, that's it. We're going to have to kill them all. How are we going to do it? Let's flood them out. Well, you got anybody down there we can keep? Well, Jonah's pretty good. Noah, I knew I did. I know. I was doing it in my head and I still messed up. Noah, uh, he's a pretty good dude. Let's get him to build a boat and we'll survive it. So Noah gets all good. Got a righteous man. Got him on his boat. He survives the flood and he gets off the boat and plants a vineyard so he can get drunk first thing. Messes up right away. God has to curse one of his boys. Ah. Oh. Still messed up. So he sends them, he makes the Jewish people and gives them a religion and they forsake God and sends prophets and they mess. And finally God in exasperation, well, I don't know what we're going to do. Jesus says, well, I could go down there and save them. Really? Sure. Okay, go. And a lot of people think that way. Now, I'm obviously making a straw man out of it. I'm making a lot more just to entertain you so you won't go to sleep on me, all right? The Bible says Jesus is the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. God knew this all along. So how come he would tell Abraham that and then Jesus will come and die and we get to be Christians? Because Jewish people are lost without Christ. They have to be saved. Paul writes about this in Romans. You can be turning in your Bible, in fact, to Romans 2 while I'm talking. In 9 and 10, he says, so is it worth nothing to be a Jew? He says, no, it's, great. it's got great worth to it. I mean, they, they, they're the prophets of the Old Testament. It's through the Jewish people the Messiah came. But I want you to look in Romans chapter 2 and verse 25. Paul lays this out for us a little bit. For circumcision in, indeed is of value if you obey the law. In other words, it's cool to be in the covenant if you can be perfect. But nobody's perfect at this point. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. In other words, you broke the covenant. You broke the deal. So you're messed up now. You need some help. Verse 26, so if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? He said, what he's saying is, so you got this Gentile guy didn't get circumcised, but he says, I like that. He keeps the law perfectly, if that were possible. He gets to heaven and God goes, whoops, sorry. <laughs> you did real good, man. You were perfect. Only perfect guy I ever lived, but you didn't get circumcised. So sorry, you don't get to come in. You see, Paul's laying out a ludicrous argument that 
that once you see how dumb it is to think that way, you can't think that way anymore. You're just saying that because your parents circumcised you at eight days, you get to go to heaven? You're saying a guy who lived a perfect life won't get in just because his parents didn't circumcise him? That's nuts. So, verse 27, then he who is physically uncircumcised keeps the law will condemn those who have the written code, the Old Testament law, and circumcision, but break the law. But now we get to the real crux of the matter. Verse 28, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Here's what he is saying. Let me just stop for a second. When we use the word Jew, especially in this context of Romans 2, he is, not, he, is, he is saying Jew, but he is giving it the meaning that the name comes from being the chosen people. So he's saying you're not a chosen person because you were born a Jew. Okay, you following that? That's the logic of what he's, what he's driving at. He is not a Jew who just happened to be born a Jew. Just because you're born to Jew. You know, there are people that believe if you're born in America, you get to go to heaven. <laughs> Wrong. Well, my mom and dad were Christians. <laughs> Wrong answer. I went to church all the time. <laughs> Wrong answer. That's not how you get in. None of that. You get in by personal trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Period. There are no exceptions to that. There's no other name, Acts 4.12, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So you're born a Jew, whoopee, you still got to have Jesus. And listen to what he says, who is merely outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. He's saying this was a sign, not a way into heaven. But you are a Jew who is one inwardly, circumcision is a matter of the heart for the spirit uh, by the spirit not by the letter because praise is not from man but from God physical circumcision what it accomplishes is it exposes the most tender part of the male anatomy God says that don't make you saved what makes you saved is when you get your heart circumcised and the stony heart is broken off and God gives you a heart that is open to him and the mark of that circumcision is the sealing of the Holy Spirit right there in Romans 2 now you get to call yourself one of God's people and if you're born Jewish and you don't accept Jesus you're not a chosen person you need Jesus. It's that simple. We complicate it by, will God work with them? And is God going to have a revival among the Jewish people? It seems like he will toward the end of time. We see that in the Bible. Some of them, a bunch of them will start getting saved. But it also says that a bunch of them will be lost. And when Jesus shows up, they go, where'd you get those scars? You're the Messiah we've been looking for. He's going to say, I got them in the house of my friends. These are the scars you put on me. I can point to the day that God wanted the Jews to understand you don't get in just because you're Jewish. And I'll, it's in the Bible. I'll tell you exactly what it is after I drink this. The Pharisees, the spokesmen for the nation of Israel and the religion they were exercising then stood before Pontius Pilate and said, his blood be upon us and our children. They rejected the Messiah that was theirs. Ruth got in. 
great-grandmother of David. Boaz's great-great-great-great-grandmother was Rahab the harlot. They were not, neither of those Jews, but they came in. Remember what he said to Abraham? Not only, use, not only the people born in your house, but those you've bought. Abraham's the only Jew standing there at this point. So if you get to come into the house, you become one of his. And the Bible tells us in the New Testament, we were aliens and strangers far from the commonwealth of God, but by the blood of Christ, he has brought us in. There are Jewish saved people, but they're not saved because they're Jewish. They're saved because they recognize Jesus, the one who lived and died a little more than 2,000 years ago, is their Messiah predicted by the Old Testament prophets, seen in the New Testament. The new covenant is not really new. It just fleshes out and fulfills what the Old Testament was hinting at all along. That in him, all the nations of the world will be blessed. The Bible says that Jesus is a light to the Gentiles in Isaiah. That the Messiah would be a light to all the nations of the world. And so, why is it an everlasting covenant? Let me come back to my original question. Because the people of God now, since it's not exclusively one particular race of people... All races of people, all men of every nation, every ethnicity, every place, and every language can become a child of God. And the numbers are innumerable. And we look in Revelation, and a multitude stands before the throne that cannot be counted, singing the song of salvation. That's a pretty good promise he gave to Abraham. What about the land? Psalm 2. My Lord said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit here at my right hand until the nations are your footstool. Not just the Jewish people, all the nations of the world. America is not a Jewish nation. Never was. This is the foreign field. This is the nations that were being brought in. We pray Psalm 2 when we send out missionaries whether they are away from this place or down to the park because this is part of the nations that are going to become the footstool of the Lord Jesus Christ so it's not just one little strip on the on the east coast of the Mediterranean the whole world is now belongs to God's people and by the way we get to rule on this planet in the millennium and then he's going to say, you know what? This old world's been a broken one for a long time. Let's get rid of it and get a brand new one, not touched by sin. Woo! That's going to be a great day. The promise is everlasting. But it goes beyond Abraham. It goes beyond the Jewish people. It goes to all those who trust God, believe God, and it's counted them as righteousness. And how is in the world is God going to be able to pay the cost of our sin and let us come in just because we believe because he is the one that paid the price on the cross for our sin so that we don't have to pay the price by dying and going to hell. He died in our place so we can say, I trust you. He invites us in through the cross. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the cross has bought for us all the promises of God from Genesis to Revelation. As many as may be the promises of God in Jesus, they're yes. And by the sealed Holy Spirit, the circumcision of our heart, we give the amen. So glad Pastor Stephen preached about the sealing of the Holy Spirit a few weeks ago because there it is. 
Circumcision is of the heart, not just of the flesh. And so, salvation's descendants, the land becomes the whole earth, and we are marked by the Holy Spirit. Well, that's pretty cool. I'm probably going to go past time, aren't I? Let me just check. Can't see the clock. The promote, and so I want you to see this promotion of a proper partner. I, I read that first part. God, back in, in Genesis 17, God goes back to Abraham and he says, Hey, Abraham, remember Sarah? Here's what I want you to know about. You're going to call her Sarah. In verse 18, listen to what he says. I will bless, and by the way, in their day, their culture, the husband could change his wife's name. So that's what, why he tells Abraham to do it. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. Okay? I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Wait a minute. He didn't say, you're going to become nations through her. He says, she's going to become nations. Hold on to that thought. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face. Wow, boom, falls down in worship again. And then he starts processing what God just said, and he starts laughing. <laughs> Sarah, she's a woman. God says this covenant, two equal partners. There's no lessening of Sarah. What God promised to Sarah, you would never promise to a woman in the days of Abraham. She could not be what he just said. She shall be the mothers of nations, the blesser of nations. She shall bear kings. Let me just tell you, you ladies, if you've bought into the lie, the only person in the entire universe that has ever elevated women out of the despair that they sometimes find themselves in is God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ, he never, the Bible and, and our beliefs never meant for women to be second-class citizens, ever. You better get a hold of that. And right there with Sarah, she, I think part of Abraham laughing is, yeah, she's just, she's just a woman, though, and she's 90. She's going to have a baby. Because it goes on to say he's laughing because he's going, I'm 99, she's 90, this ain't happening. R read what Abraham says. He says, shall a child, he thinks that to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? Then Abraham speaks out loud to God, but God heard him when he was thinking. <laughs> God always hears you when you're thinking. Don't forget that. Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. And God said, no! Just that emphatically, by the way. I did that on purpose. He did, because again, but, but you can't do that. God says, no, I said, Sarah! Don't you remember what I told you a minute ago? I'm God Almighty. I can handle this. Quit not believing. And so he did. <laughs> he quit not believing. In fact, the Hebrew construction of that phrase, no, Sarah will have a child, is kind of complicated, and it's to be emphatic like that. That's why I said that. He said, no, Sarah is going to have a child, and you'll call his name laughing. Isaac means laughing. Because Abraham laughed, and then when God personally gives the message to Sarah, she laughs. He says, his name will be Isaac. I'll establish my covenant with him. It's an everlasting covenant for his offspring. And look at verse 20. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Ishmael means I have heard. 
God says, Abraham, you keep bringing his name up. I've heard you. I know about Ishmael. I heard him. I heard his mama. I have blessed him. I'll make him fruitful. Multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes. And I will make him into a great nation. But the covenant is through Isaac. And Paul, that I read from Romans, also brings that out in Galatians and other places. There are two women, Hagar and, and uh, Sarah. The, Hagar is not the mother of promise. Sarah is. So it is through Sarah the Messiah is going to come. That's where the covenant, the promise line is. But I love Ishmael too. I'm going to bless him, but he's just not the person of the promise. You follow me? They can get in on the covenant. In fact, Ishmael does in this text. In fact, let's read on. He says, uh, I will make him a great nation, but I'll establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. And now look at the urgency with which Abraham obeys in verse 22. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. And then Abraham took Ishmael his son, all those born in his house, and all those he bought with money, every male among the men of Abraham's house. Remember he had over 300 soldiers a few chapters back to go kill some, uh, some bad people. As God had said to him, Abram was 99 years old. When he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was 13 years old, and there it is, when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that very day Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house who were born in the house and were bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised that day with him. That day, that day, that day. Here's three things I want you to catch here. Number one, you need to realize what is available in the covenant. Okay? If you don't know God, you need to understand that you can get in on this. That you have to come to Jesus and say, I'm a sinner and I need you. I need you to forgive me of my sin. I want to be brought in because you are an alien to the people of God. Paul says in Ephesians, it was a great mystery from before, but now is revealed that out of all nations, God is making one people in the church. That is a quote out of Ephesians. You need to read what God is doing today to sue the church. And you can come in, not saying we can save you, but big C church, not, not Calvary, but Christ's people are in the church. And you need to realize that is how you come to know God. That's how you have a relationship with God. That is how you come to the covenant is through Christ and you become part of the body of Christ, which is the church. And in understanding that, understand the blessing is for you. Accept God's grace. You need to accept that. I don't know everybody in here. I don't know your spiritual heart. I don't know anybody's spiritual heart in here but mine. That's between you and God that I know that it's possible. Somebody watching online or somebody here that you don't know Christ. Friend, be like Abraham. And that's the third point. Today is the day of your salvation. Don't put it off. Do it today. If God's speaking to your heart, do it now. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says... Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. In other words, don't put it off. Just as Abraham obeyed and believed that day, you need to obey and believe this day if you need Christ. Now, you may be a Christian, and you know all this, and you've gotten away from God. Today's the day to come back and say, I'm a child of the promise. I can't live like I'm not. I want to point something out, though, as, as we close. As I was studying different things, I found a book. I forgot I had. I pulled it down. I, I looked at it. And the author of that book, Gene Getz, 
pointed something out. 13-year-old Ishmael, 10 years before that, God had told Abraham that he and Sarah were going to have a baby. So it's been 23 years before God shows up and says, next year it's going to happen. Abraham didn't have any of this. All he had was somebody showed up and told him that and said they were God and he believed they were. Tomorrow morning when you get up, you can pull down a book similar to this one. may not be this size and made out of the same material, but it's got the same content. And you can read all the promises of God. And you know what? Tuesday morning you can get up, pull down a book like this, and read all the promises of God. Wednesday you can get up and pull out this book and read the promises of God. Abraham got a message from somebody that he believed to be God and believed it to be true for 23 years. If you want to ask yourself, why did Abraham keep messing up? He was going on a promise for 23 years. No wonder the writer of Hebrews says to you and me, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? When we have the whole story, we know how God was going to work it through the Messiah. We have the written record of everything God needed for us to know about how we can know God and know how to live our life. And you ignore God by ignoring his message to you? How shall you escape if you neglect such a great salvation? Before you want to fuss about Abraham messing up, think about that. That was as convicting to me as anything I read this week. Am I ignoring? I can study the promises of God every day of my life. God just told Abraham what he's going to do, and Abraham lived on that for the rest of his life. For 175 years, actually. Let's pray. Lord God, in Jesus' name, we thank you that you know our frame, that we're just dust, that we need you greatly and mightily. Lord, there may be some folks here there may be some folks somehow hear this recording and God they may not know you but only you can convict their heart I can't talk them into it only you can do something about that so God I just ask you to do it if they watch this a year from now God in that moment Lord bring them to that place in fact I, I would have to believe if anybody happened to see this a year from now it'd have to be some miracle of yours that was at work and so, Lord, I'm just asking that in this moment, in this room, but also since you've given us these devices and abilities to make a recording of your word and send it out, that it will not return void. That, Lord, if there's a lost person in this room right now, your spirit touches their heart and says, you need what he's talking about. Somebody watching online somewhere, You'll touch your heart. You need what he's talking about. It is in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that we are brought back to God. We're brought to God. We're brought into his family. We become heirs of the promises of God to Abraham, to all mankind who will believe God, knowing that you've paid the price on the cross so we can come in. We don't have to be right to get in. We have to trust you because you've paid the price for us to come in. And so, Lord, I pray that in this moment, or in the moment they find themselves in, that they would open their heart to you. They would say, oh Lord, make my heart a tender heart. Give me salvation. Give me the ability to follow you. I want to follow you the rest of my life. Lord, you are my Lord. You're my Savior.
And Lord, as they cry out to you, you'll save them. You will help them to, to be the follower of Christ that you mean for them to be. Help all of us in this room not to neglect this great salvation of which we're aware. But Lord, may we study diligently your promises and live on them. For indeed, we're standing on the promises of Christ our King, our Savior, our Lord, who calls himself our brother. Lord, we love you. We thank you that we are heirs of this salvation now because of the blood of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Go with God. Serve him this week.